from Daylight. I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Brandon Beiser. And this is Sayonara Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. On today's episode, we're going to talk about everything we can to close out the regular season. Welcome, everyone, to the final regular season episode of Sayonara Baseball. I'm Brandon Beiser, as always, here with Kazuki Akiba. Today is Sunday, September 19th, and we can say good morning. We are starting this episode. We were filming, we were recording this episode before games are taking place today on Sunday. With that, we'll start quickly with the friends of the podcast news. Our Forbes softball team, as they always do, played a tight game in the New York Media Softball League playoffs finishing in third for what seems like the nth year, but always taking home the bronze medal. Congratulations to our friends on another great season. Uh, A special other podcast news uh, this week, probably when this episode is about released, on September 24th, NPR's Ask Me Another, which is known as NPR's Hours of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia, will air its final episode. Uh, The show is produced and broadcasted via WNYC in New York City. Uh, It's normally taped at the Bell House in Brooklyn, Show's been on the air for about a decade. And I just want to say congratulations to all of the people there. I've heard some of their names and the producers have moved on to other parts of NPR, which is fantastic. The show means a lot to Kazuki and I, especially me, because when Kazuki and I first met, I think one of the first things we talked about was the fact that I was going to be on this show. I was a contestant in 2018, about three years ago, with special guests Tom Arnold and Jill Sobiel. I did not win, but if you Google my name, it's one of the first five things that comes up. So that's always a fun thing. So if you can tune in for the last episode and all our episodes are still online. So it's just fun. They bring a lot of special guests on. So congratulations to them on a great run. Easier said than done. Now to the baseball news. And we'll start with the two outstanding, I would say, court cases, behavior cases involving criminal cases with Trevor Bauer and Marcelo Zuna. Trevor Bauer is not going to pitch again for the LA Dodgers this season. I think that's a pretty well-stated fact. Al Gonzalez from ESPN has clearly made that to be said, that they're not going to do it anymore. He's not going to pitch anymore. His co-agents have issued a statement to announce the extension of his leave. They continue to cooperate with ongoing investigations with the Pasadena Police, LA Superior Court. But before we get further into the Marcelo Zuna story, Bill Plash, which is an intrepid writer for the Los Angeles Times, he's also seen on ESPN's Around the Horn, published a column that explored whether or not Bauer's signing could have been the worst signing in LA Dodgers history. So, Kazuki, quick word on that. What do you think? Is this possible that Trevor Bauer could have been the worst signing in, the, in the, at least the modern history of the Los Angeles Dodgers? And well, in terms of how much money you invested in one guy, sure. I mean, his like numbers like while he was playing is great, but how much of the drama that you know drew to the Dodgers, so, you know the bad PR, bad presence, yeah, absolutely, it's been disastrous. I don't think it could have gone any worse. And what makes it, I think possible to be the worst signing is some of it was pre-Dodgers behavior. Like you could have known some of this stuff, um, and it's just not a good look for them at all. For such a squeaky clean what we believe to be a squeaky clean organization trying to, in terms of signing these players, I mean, you c- could have seen this coming. 
Did you ignore it? Like those questions, those shouldn't have to be asked. And we have a lot of respect for the Dodgers. Let's, let's be very clear here. We have our, one of our friends who works at Dodgers. We have a lot of respect for them. And she does not work on the baseball operations side. But this signing and what Luba, Fedorov, Fedorov and Bauer collectively could have just prevented, they could, they could have just made this not as potent as it was. And the fact of the matter is, this is a serious matter. I mean, you and I have talked several times, and we'll talk to Marcelo Zuma's story in a second, about the, the cancer that is this problem with a s- domestic of violence and s- sexual assault for baseball players over the last three to five years. And this one is outwardly the worst, it seems like, out, outside of the Roberto Ozuna uh, incident that we talked about last playoff. I'm not even sure he'll ever play again, let alone maybe for the Dodgers at this point, just because of how just cyclical this is all going. It's like one thing will end and then the next the part will drop and then the next part will drop. It's like he is caught in a vicious cycle that he of his own creation. So I think, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I, I say it's safe to say he's not going to play Major League Baseball ever again. And for such a talent, talented player, because it, it, the, 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 it's hard to separate the two, but he's a talented pitcher. He's won so many important games as a great record baseball wise personalized what the heck happened like what what's going on here like wh- why did you get help one and face the consequence of your actions like those are the two things that need to come very very clearly to Trevor Bauer and he needs to shape up if he ever wishes to play baseball ever again uh, to Marcelo Zuna he has not played I believe much of that all, all this year his administrative leave has been extended through at least Friday the 24th, according to Brad Bradford Doolittle and The Athletic. I'm not really quite sure exactly how his administrative leave has been managed, but he is also in a pretrial diversion program for what for the, the alleged assault on his wife. He was arrested for it. He has not gone to trial yet. I believe the trial date is sometime in early 2022. Will he play again? I don't know. But... I think the Braves have really tried to distance themselves significantly from this publicly. So I don't think it's going to happen. They've done a great job. I mean, finding the right pieces and that on top of overcoming the Acuna like injury, like they brought in their players and it's working fine. So like, just like the Dodgers, they know how to maneuver things. It's a well-run organization. Right. And I think that this, this incident with, these incidents with with Ozuna is different than Bauer because Ozuna's been with the team for a couple, a couple of years at this point, and it happened during the playing season, like the, the incident which he has been cited for. So we'll see what happens in Atlanta. Again, I'm not quite sure when Ozuna will ever play baseball again. But I mean, like, he might not even be out here for, as a free man. Right. He may be, he may be actually going to jail. The, the interesting thing you brought up um, from the baseball side of both teams is they found a way to make this situation on the playing side work everyone filled a role they got scherzer for the dodgers and for the um, braves that four that four outfield uh, attraction that they brought in when Acuna went out has filled that gap too i mean they and then they have austin riley who has been sensational this past year to pick up that end of the bargain so i think it's the playing side is, is one thing but the personal side and what's going on with like i said the cancer of sexual assault uh, allegations needs a definite reckon, reckoning in baseball, among other sports, but definitely in baseball last year or so. 
We're going back about a week to some good news. And we're going to the cheese state. We're going to Milwaukee. Corbin Burns, Josh Hader, combined no-hitter. First combined, it's the, the not the, there, there's only been one true no-hitter, one a single per- pitcher no-hitter in Brewers history. But it's the second no-hitter in totality for the organization, according to Milwaukee Sentinel Journal's Tom Hardicourt. Burns struck out 14 and eight innings. And then... Hater closed out as Hater does. Burns became the sixth pitcher in franchise history to get 200 Ks in a season. I did not see that coming. I know he was good, not that good. I mean, it's 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 remarkable. I think he has a definite shot at the National League Cy Young, with without a doubt. I mean, he has lifted that team. We've talked glowingly about those three three starters on that team to begin with. Burns has been the, been the figurehead, and I think that's incredible that they were able to do that, and they're soaring the playoffs. And then to close out the news, we'll, we'll talk about a retiring Milwaukee Brewers player. That's Ryan Braun. Spent his entire career, 14 seasons at the Brewers, batting 298, uh, a 358, slugging a 532 OPS with just shy of 2,000 hits, 350-plus home runs, 408 doubles. 200-plus stolen bases, and about 1,000 runs scored with about 1,200 RBIs. Great player. We stopped there. Great player. Unfortunately, we can't. He is tied to a PED scandal. And he, he is not only tied to the PED scandal and the fact that he's alleged to have consumed and used PEDs. He was very, very outward and direct in his criticisms of the investigation, the reporting. I think he like literally, I've heard stories about how he just accosted people that were part of the organization that was part of the, the, the lab, part of the lab organization publicly. And it's just not a good look. And I think he's going to go into that bucket of players of like, can we put him in the Hall of Fame? Can we not put him in the Hall of Fame? Because he's a great player, but I think he's going to fall short and short and he's going to keep going down, 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 down and not going to make it. For, Bre- for Brewer's history, he's a great player. But publicly... It's a tough road. It is. I mean, the fact that he lied about using PED. Yeah, the, the lie, and the lie got... will stick with you forever, buddy. The yep. lie is going to stick with you forever. It, that's that's not. But like I said, we'll focus on the good with the Brewers. Everything seems to be rolling for them, and they're rolling right into the playoffs. And with that, we're going to go into our regular segments as we prepare for the playoffs. We're going to talk about the wild, wild, wild card race. We're going to revisit those teams that we talked about last episode of like. The bad teams look to be how they've done good. And I'll just spoil it right now. The Colorado Rockies look like a completely different team in the month of September. Like, w- did they did they literally start figuring things out right now? And if they played this way earlier, whichever story you like, never want to leave the scene ever again. Staying in the NL West, San Francisco. We never really talked about them a lot throughout the season in terms of like in-depth analysis. And I've been watching their games. I watched a series against Atlanta right now. I watched a couple of previous series. It's a it's literally like watching like a re- like a revamp of the Moneyball era athletics with players you have n- like literally players never heard of playing well playing well together. It's just a perfect sequence there. So we'll see how that rolls. And then we're going to talk about predictions. We're going to predict the season that is and how it's going to end, where teams are going to go. We're going to predict all the division winners all the wild card winners and who's going to win the wild card game for each league. So we'll go through our predictions for that. 
We'll tip our caps. We're going north of the border. That, again, talk about Tina's been doing great. Toronto, just absolutely phenomenal. All right, give them the hooks. We are not happy with the Seattle Mariners right now. I'm not happy with them for just how they make me feel. Like, I feel like I'm on, I feel like I'm getting like worked up every time they play a game. It goes to one run. And Kazuki has his own thoughts there too. And then we're going to go with our walk-up song of the show. And it's time to let the good times roll. Thank you to Freddie Coleman and Ian Fitzsimmons of ESPN Radio for sharing with us their song that they actually introduce their radio show with every night. And then we'll close out in extra inning segments as this was the past week of Roberto Clemente Day. And Kazuki and I have our own thoughts about Roberto Clemente. Uh, and we wanted to share them with you all today. On to the cycle. We'll talk about the why. We'll, we'll go through this, this cycle today. It's basically a preparation for the end. So we'll talk about the, the wild card race. We're going to talk about the teams that have kind of helped and really helped to, or actually more hindered the likelihood of wild card uh, playoff spots for certain teams. We'll go into one team that's basically leading the pack, the best team in baseball, the Hampshire Giants. And then we're going to just, you guys, we're going to close out with our predictions. The wild card race American League is basically the AL East. Boston, New York, and Toronto are all eligible to make it. What they have remaining, though, is interesting to note as you get towards that prediction segment, as I thought I mentioned at the end. Boston will play New York one more time. New York, again, will play Boston, and then they play Toronto. So it's a back-to-back -back there. But as you expected, you're all division opponents. Toronto will play New York. But then I highlighted this, and I heard someone say it on the broadcast, and now I'm back into worrying about the concern about the Minnesota Twins will play the Toronto Blue Jays again. This time it's at Minnesota, so it's not as like the, the Sky Dome effect will not be that much of an effect. But that series is just like home run city versus home run city. It's the Bomba Squad versus Bomba Squad 2.0. Like those two teams could not be any more alike in terms of their structure. And I'm afraid that Minnesota could be that ultimate spoiler for them. The AL West, it's Oakland and Seattle. They're a little bit lower on the totem pole, but they play each other seven more times starting tomorrow night, Monday, September 20th. We'll get into our predictions later, but of those five teams, anything can stand out to you just off the top before we get into the National League? Um, I mean, AL East, who uh, we predicted it, you know, Toronto has been underachieving all year and they finally caught fire. Um, we'll talk more about it, but they've been hitting at a very elite level despite their pitching woes. But that's been amazing. And then who knew New York was going to slide this low? They, they were predicted to be division winner, but nowhere near that. And Boston, they're supposed to be a bottom dweller. They're competing in the playoffs right now. And the AL West is interesting because we thought A's would do something, but they've been sliding. But Seattle coming up as like emerging as like that unlikely underdog, that's been a kind of an interesting story to look at too. But we'll see how the, those teams go. But we'll dive into it once we uh, go into the rankings. All right, into our predictions. I will say what, what I think greatly helped Toronto in terms of the momentum was their schedule. They absolutely clobbered the Orioles. And when you put up football scores against a team, I don't care what team it is, it just is motivating. The other thing that really is troubling is we thought Boston was going to be bad. Boston became good. And then they just slid right back down. And it wasn't like, it was a precipitous bad look, but we all see like, we all saw it coming. Like they had 
people getting injured. Then they had the COVID outbreak. And then they had Chris Dale come back and Chris Dale has got to reel them back in. But then Chris Dale goes out and you're like, you can't keep clawing back up so many times. The AL West, I'm staying away from that. It's so hard to watch. But these seven games we're about to see between, the, between Seattle and Oakland are going to tell it all because they're not catching up. They're not catching Houston. So it's just going to be those teams. But we'll go to National League. National League is more. National League is a little, little bit less interesting off the top. There's only one team we're looking for, but that makes it probably, probably more interesting. LA or San Francisco is claiming the first wild card spot. Easier said than done. I hope it's LA gets the wild card spot. San Francisco wins, it, wins the division. Sorry to our friends in LA. Then you ride down that there are, I would say, four teams to go. I have knocked out the Mets. I think the Mets are kind of out on the outs here. First being, who saw St. Louis? I mean, we all think St. Louis is not going to make the playoffs at some point of the season. And then, as every baseball pundit will say, they find a way. And that's so true. They have found a way to stay competitive. But the most surprising of all these teams we're going to talk about is Cincinnati. They are so streaky. And when they are good, they are really, really good. Like, I watched Luis Castillo highlights the other night. He was terrible throughout most of the season, and he's just mowing down players. I, I just can't believe it at Great American Ballpark. Like, it just, what's going on with him? And then Jonathan D, rookie of the year, just we all talked about last time, again, absolutely incredible. You brought up Tommy Edmond last week, and I am still, I am more secure in my belief now than I was previously. He is the engine that drives that team. Paul Goldschmidt is a bet is one of the top players in the league. They have tons of great rookies. They, I think Carlson hit his home runs out the crazy the other night. But to watch Tommy Edmond stand at the pinnacle of that infield and drive that team, because he's been there the longest. He's been there a long time. Long time being like several years, but he's been there quite a while. And then you put Wainwright and Molina. Like that team is built on that straight line middle. And they have held their own as they do every year. Well, we we all like to call it the devil magic, right? Where they're not that they look horrible in April, May, in July they look somewhat passable, and then all of a sudden August and September they look like contenders out of nowhere. Right, and I will say that Cincinnati's only St. Louis does not play like a bunch of the St. Louis schedule is a little bit different, but Cincinnati plays Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh gives them fits. They get a lot of people fits, but they get Cincinnati particularly fits this year. But they also have this double, this two-game series against Chicago. And you don't want to play the White Sox right now because the White Sox, all they want to do is just get all of it out. Just get everything out of the way before they get to the playoffs. Because after what happened last year, they want to go deep in the playoffs. In the AL East, Atlanta's probably going to win at the Phillies. I'm not spoiling our predictions, but like the Phillies are the team that and Colorado ripped through them. But Phillies have the last series against Atlanta and then the Padres. Can they just stay alive? They keep having injury after injury after injury after injury. They play San Francisco twice. They play Atlanta. Atlanta's schedule is just must-watch television in the month of September. They play every team contending for playoffs. And Atlanta is a little bit higher in the rank. But, like, the series against San Francisco has been phenomenal. Now they're going to play San Diego. And San Diego plays San Francisco twice in Los Angeles and Atlanta. That's their remaining schedule. 
talk about a tough road to make it. So we'll see how that goes. But any thoughts on the National League? I know you brought up the Cardinals. But what anything else there before we we get into those teams that really? I mean, up? the Padres. Who knew they were going to collapse uh, this horribly? Less. This is a reminder of the 2015 season where there was a major hope in the preseason of bringing all these stars together, and they just collapsed. And we're and it's happening under our eyes right now. It's just not working. Everyone's frustrated. Machado and Tatis had a words against each other in that St. Louis game uh, yesterday when um, I believe Tyler O'Neill hit a two-run home run to take the lead over the Padres, and Padres has been anemic in their offense. Their pitching hasn't been stable. Uh, everything's just going wrong for them, and I just don't think they're just go- uh, going to go deep, especially against these like playoff contenders. They've been pretty bad this second half. They've been disappointing. I think it's a simple way to play. They've been very disappointing. But we'll now transition to a segment that we talked about last week, but I thought it was quite interesting when you look at the teams that have done the most damage who are not supposed to do damage to the good teams. And we're going to lead off with Colorado. Colorado, I I prepared this pretty much through the games on Thursday the 16th. Colorado took majority of the games against Atlanta, one being postponed. They took majority of the games against Philadelphia, but then they got swept by San Francisco. Not like that really matters, but they, but, they, they did what they we thought they were under the, the NL East. They were not supposed to be good on the road, and they were on the road and started winning games. And they're doing that now against Washington, which is not the playoffs anyway, but like, yikes. That is, that set the whole thing in motion. That gave the Mets a little bit of hope, and then the Mets did not play well. Uh, but that that's that. The Diamondbacks took two away from Seattle. Pirates took two from Cincinnati. As we said, they're a troublemaker. The Cubs did less damage. They did take two wins from Cincinnati, but they also took one from Philadelphia. Miami took two from Philly, two from Atlanta, or a couple, or maybe three from Atlanta. They took a lot from Atlanta. Texas took two from Oakland. Baltimore took two from the Yankees and one from Toronto. Like I said, that those that they are gonna that AL East mess has been just Baltimore. They can insert themselves and just make things a little bit worse. Otherwise, it's the blowout losses. I think to, to end this this these two-part segment about it, we're basically saying Colorado did what we thought they were going to do, which is just make people's lives challenging. And they can, can and they can continue to do it for who's going to get first or second in the um NL West. If they I'm not I'm not I, I apologize if there's schedule in front of me. But right now it's one game versus a guaranteed three games. And I think that's going to be what we're looking at. We got three games if you win the division, one game guaranteed if you get wild card. And then you get the whole wild card team, which we're going to predict later. Like that's, that's a, that's not a good look. And I'm not looking forward to that. I'm looking, not looking forward to who's going to be that more potent team in that NL wild card race from the, from the NL West. But with that, we go to the NL West to continue the San Francisco Giants. They've been the best team in baseball throughout this year. Record-wise, yes, the best team in baseball. They're, are they the island of misfit toys? We've used that uh, metaphor a lot this year. I consider them somewhat to, to a certain degree the, the appeal of Moneyball 2.0, just because it's a bunch of older players, a mix of great younger players who have done exceptionally well. They're the first team to clinch a playoff berth. They're probably the first team to hit 100 wins if they can get it. 
Team Leader's an OPS. Brandon Belt. Pause there. Did you think that would be the case right now? Brandon Belt being the team leader in OPS as we go into the, the final weekend. I mean, he did show signs last year of hitting hard, like, well, like his exit velocity, hard hit contact rate were through the roof. He was in the top 10, even it was the W uh, OBA and all, but no, we did not expect him to be the leader. He's close to a thousand, about 940 right now with about 26, with 26 home runs as we kind of close out the, the, the data from this past week. Buster Posey is second on the team and hits with over 100, 106, 63 runs, third on the team, and 890 OPS. Brandon Crawford, a legitimate candidate for MVP. Between him and Belt, one of them could win it. 300 average, 80 RBIs, an, o- an on-base range of 370, 131 hits, 70 runs, and a 900 OPS. And then the, 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 the person you probably never heard of before this year but he will step it up. And I think Donovan Solano came in a couple nights ago as a pinch hitter when McGee was IL. They called, they reinstated Solano. He, but I think the more important pinch hit utility player for this team, because they have a bunch of utility players on the team, Wilmer Flores, everybody, is Lamont Wade Jr. He has an 857 OPS. He plays a lot of games, not nearly every game, but there's a lot of games. And when you need to play, he steps up. And I think that's what makes this team more top of the start for both pitching and hitting. One person goes down, not playing well, step up. Everyone's got to step up. And Lamont Wade Jr. has been the just the signal bearer for that the entire season, especially now. Team leaders in, in, in ERA, starters, Gosman, 278 ERA with a one, barely a one whip in 14, a 14-6 record with 200 plus Ks. Never saw that coming. He was supposed to be a trade, a trade part this year. Like Farad Zahidi. Uh, was was gonna trade him. No. I mean, and the fact that he uh, got a qualifying offer for eighteen mil, like that shows uh, Zaidi had so much faith in Gosman after uh, t- the twenty twenty oh, yeah. season. And then Logan Webb, the young man on the staff, ten and three, two seventy nine ERA, with a one point one WHIP, one hundred forty plus Ks. He has been six and zero oh in his last thirteen starts, two two ERA, fantastic. The former red that was, I would say, like a cast-off, Anthony DeSclafani, De 3-2 ERA, 12-6 record with a 1.09 whip and 140 Ks. Woo, that's good. Alex Wood, Johnny Cueto, back and forth with some stints on the IL, and they just pick up Jose Quintana. Hopefully he's going to, and Jose Quintana needed some reclamation project, and he uh, here we go. So between the three of them to kind of anchor that starting rotation, you're going, you have depth. And that's what you need when the playoffs. The relievers. Rogers, Leon, Garcia have been definitely real strong. Dominic Leon was a former Mariner, by the way. Has to mention that. Tyler Rogers has done everything for that bullpen, it seems like. Jake McGee is on the IL right now, but he is leading the team in saves. And when he comes in, it is. And he's on, and he's on, it's, it's game. Zach Littell has been an important thing. I don't know half these names besides them on this team this year. I'll be honest with our audience. I don't recognize half these. I don't recognize Rogers, Leone, and basically McGee, but everyone else. Unknown part. Needed a good performance. Need a good year. They're getting great years. We saw it with the Mariners of all of this year and past too. We saw it with, 
I would say the White Sox of previous years. Like you put a collection of relievers together on their own, maybe not that great, but together just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, look at the Mariners too. Uh, they got what three like um, non non uh, invitees, spring training invitees, and they they were the main anchor anchor of the uh, whole bullpen, like Paul Seawald. Drew Steckenreiter, right, and a JT and, and seen that with, like, with a lot of teams that you can do that. What I think makes the Giants so special is they have a beginning and an end, and the middle is this collection of players that have done so well. I think the beginning is like the Leon type pitcher. You have a bunch of pitchers that can do that. You got McGee in the back, and then you put Garcia, Alvarez, and Latell and Rogers. Rogers, I know a little bit better. But you can just shuffle them around. That's like the Yankees bullpen when they were like World Series champions year after year after year. You basically had a seven, eight, nine every time. Usually every time. And now they have they have they probably have a six, seven, eight, nine with the with the the Giants, which is even better because in the playoffs we see a lot of people, a lot of pitchers go short starts, five, maybe six. If you're lucky, seven. Though I don't think Gabe Kapler is going to say we'll cut these guys off real easy. Because I think, I think as long as they can handle it, they're going to go deep. Because they got six legitimate pitchers to the playoffs. And if even they go five, who are you putting in the bullpen? You're going to put Jose Quintana in the bullpen? You're going to put Alex Wood in the bullpen? I mean, talk about like what they what the Dodgers did. You put Dustin May in the bullpen last year. And that's how they won this. They won the World Series. I think that's be interesting. Other players. You acquired Chris Bryant. Just an instant. An Incremental lift that you couldn't get. You got a healthy Tommy LaStella, who's seen what he can do when he's healthy, when he was great with the Angels. And then you have this utility collection. Lamont Wade Jr., one before as you mentioned. But I will I love watching Darren Ruff because Darren Ruff is not the constant utility player. He doesn't he plays all the, the entire outfield in first base, basically. But you basically get him up to bat and he looks imposing. I mean, he's a very tall man. And he, when he hits a home run, it's just looks like a thunder shot out to probably left field, but sometimes it gets a hook on it and it go, gets gets a hold of it and it goes deep to that deep part of center. So that's just impressive. And then the two, the player that I most enjoy watching this team is Mike Yastrzemski. He's been battling a bunch of injuries and not seeing a lot of time in the playing field as the cautionary with those injuries. But he leads the team in runs. He has 23 homers, 58 RBIs, and a 308, a 308 on-base percentage. Then Steven Duggar, who just steps in when he needs to. To This team is built from a bunch of players that you didn't watch the Giants for a couple of years. You have never know who they are. And now, and not to mention, we have Evan Longoria still uh, oh yeah, counting baseballs, The guy too. who is the most veteran player on their team is in his quote-unquote twilight years, is playing every day at third base. Still, it's it's just incredible to watch these players put together this collection of things. Like I said, I'm excited to watch them. Their broadcast, like the their broadcast, we'll start from the, the quick. They have one of the most fun broadcast teams out there. Dwayne Kuyper, Dave Fleming, John Miller between TV and radio. And during the playoffs, we discussed last year when I first joined the podcast, I tend to listen to the local broadcasts mostly during games on the radio. And then if you can get my MLB network or the ESPN plus with the game of the day, you get a couple of other things. The way they have discussed this team, like they have, they're just having so much fun. Like I listened to the Brewers broadcast. They're having fun. 
that's something that's a luxury. And I think once they knew they were good, it just became a lot more fun for these teams. And now we're seeing how good they are. And I know we talk about Gosman throughout the year, but I would say the players that have been the, have been the most surprising to me for this, this year, for this team, on the hitting side, I would say it's probably Brandon Belt. I did. I know he's good, but I didn't say he'd be that good to lead the team in OPS. That's great. And I think on the pitching side, it's Anthony DeSclafani. He was a castaway from the Reds when they were mediocre. He is shining brightly with this team, and he will get playoff baseball this year. That, those are my, as you close out this, we're getting to the final segment. What do you think? Who are the, who the couple players do you think have really shined the most of this team? Uh, for the pitching side, I'd say Logan Webb and Tyler Rogers. Logan Webb, he, we saw promises uh, during spring training games. His changeup was working. He got injured a little bit, but right when he got off the injury, the second half, you know, he had a tough schedule facing the Astros, Braves, uh, all these like contending teams, even the Dodgers, and he just had quality starts after quality starts. Like he has not missed a quality start in any of his starts so far. Like uh, that's been kind of amazing how they developed a young player to pitch so well. And then Tyler Rogers, like he had a five ERA last season, and now he's pitching sub two ERA. Like who expected that from a submarine like um, pitcher, right? Like he doesn't throw that hard. And what what makes him so good is his movement on, on his uh, sinker and his slider. Like, that's what's amazing. And hitting-wise, I mean, everyone had, like, a really good sign of, like, hitting pretty well, like, hitting really hard. I guess they weren't doing well, but I did not expect Brandon Crawford to be MVP-level, like, hitting. Like, who expected that? I mean, the, 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 I, I mean, being a person named Brandon, I, I get to, I get to, I'm joining this, but it's, it's just fun to watch this team and i'm curious to see how they all develop going forward and with that it's time to make our predictions we're gonna make predictions for the postseason so here's how we're gonna do it we'll do the al then the nl and what kazuki and i are each gonna do is predict division winners the two wild card winners and then who will win our wild card game i'll go first in the al the al for me is east is tampa bay rays Central is the White Sox. West is the Astros. My wild card picks are the Blue Jays and the Athletics. And I will have the Blue Jays coming out victorious. And they would play, I believe, Tampa. So a divisional round matchup there. And then Houston playing Chicago in the other divisional round game. Your turn. You know, it's very similar. East, I call Tampa Bay Rays winning it. They're running away with us right now. There's no way any, any team will catch up to them. Central, same thing. White Sox, Central has been horrible. White Sox is, has only been the good team so far. They're taking that. West, Astros, who can deny that hitting core? I, that's like one of the reasons why they're so good. And it's a well-oiled oil machine there. The wild card, there's a slight difference. I'm sticking with the East. Uh, the first spot, it's going to the Toronto Blue Jays. Second, I say it's the Red Sox. And out of those two, I say the Toronto Blue Jays winning it. It might be a tight game of hitting back and forth and then Blue Jays winning. And I think they'll face off the Tampa Bay Rays. So it's all East against East matchup. The question for both of us for the wild card game is where is that game going to be played? If that game is played in Toronto, 
may the Maple Leaf have mercy on our souls. Because the last time I can remember a game like that in Toronto was Texas, Toronto, and Joey Betts. And the absolute unleashing of the goal, of, of the sound, of the bat flip heard around the world, and that home run horn in the sky, in the Rogers Center. Just, it's, it's you can't forget it in most, in the last decade of playoff baseball. Like, that moment was incredible. And if they play in Toronto, if Toronto makes it and they play in Toronto, it's it's like playoff hockey. It's going to be madness. I will also say if they play in Boston, if, they, if you get what you've picked and they play in Boston, it's the exact same thing. It's madness. Oakland will be lesser madness. I'd say that, that that's a cavernous. Dr. Wilson about how cavernous that stadium is. But we all remember, we talked about our last episode, the 2001 Moneyball era um, A's, and it was like to be seeing on that. I don't think you'll get that kind of excitement. But Oakland's had like, the fans who support that team love that team. If they come out and support that team, it's not a fun place to play either. That's a, it, the, all these stands are so awkward. The three stands that we're talking about are all awkward to play in. So we'll see. But basically, we have Toronto playing Tampa, a divisional round, and that's not going to be easy if that if that comes to fruition for those teams. And it's also a 2020 rematch, right? Of well, when they faced each other last year, and that was quick. That was that was a quick one last year. And the and the other one is Chicago playing Houston. It's like the Dallas Keuchel revenge tour. Uh, uh, that'll be uh, an interesting. Interesting series because I don't think it's like it's Tony La Russa versus Dusty Baker. Yeah, uh, you know they both had beefs against each other, so it, oh, it's yeah, going to be that's gonna very be interesting. <laughs> ugly. All right, National League. I'll go first again. East, Bra- Atlanta Braves, Central Milwaukee Brewers, West San Francisco Giants, Wild Card Dodgers and Cardinals, and I have the Dodgers taking the Wild Card. So it'll be Dodgers Braves a rematch. The AL Championship Series from last... No, uh, would it be a rematch? Or would they go Dodgers-Giants? I think it's Dodgers-Giants. Oh, man. Oh, no. But then... Oh, that'd be interesting. If it's Dodgers-Giants, then it'll be the battle of the former Braves versus the current. It's the battle of the, of the Braves versus the former. It's the Brewers-Braves, which is their... They have history tied. And then... Oh, my gosh. That series is going to be insane. Giants-Dodgers in the playoffs. So that's what I have. What say you? You know what's funny? I have the exact same uh, seating. Uh, so NL East, Atlanta Braves, Central Milwaukee Brewers, NL West, San Francisco Giants was a wild card. Uh, seed one, Dodgers. Seed two, St. Louis. I say the Devil Magic stop at the wild card. That could shock us, but I think the Dodgers are too strong for that. And we're going to see an NL West uh, matchup between the Dodgers and the Giants. And the Brewers against Braves. And I think Brewers will start at home in game one, which will be scary for the Braves because Brewers, that rotation. And if Christian Yelich can hit, oh my God, we will see a deep playoff run from that team. Well, we know that the wild card game is going to be at Dodger Stadium or <laughs> or at, at the worst Oracle Park. And who they play against. I wouldn't want to play at either of those stadiums as a visiting team especially Dodger Stadium. That crowd is fervent. They are they love that team and it's just going to be a great scene. 
if we're both predicting, because our probably our next episode, everyone is trying to figure out right now, we'll probably be rolling through the division series. As you remember last year, we were we tried to do those quick. Uh, it's gonna be a hard, hard one to get through for either team. The Cardinals can shock you, which I think is what we're both alluding to. They have they have some mag some magical power in that team. And I think the magical power, like we all have, we, we have alluded to the past couple of episodes, is that shred the middle lineup. Edmund, Wainwright, if they if they if they get Adam Wainwright to be on the mound that game, that's that's a big sign. But whomever is pitching, there is no catcher more prepared for these playoffs on any side of the of either league than Yadier Molina. He can settle anyone down. He can make anything possible, and I think that the that fact that factor will be the will be the thing that drives this team to get the wild card and maybe into the divisional round. Is if he can do that, because the Dodgers have had some mixtures of injuries that could be a mess for them. And on the pitching side, like you know, you only have yes, Scherzer really carrying the team right now because Bueller's been kind of. Going off after having and Bellinger such a has a fractured rib, like he cracked his rib trying to collide with Gavin Lux on a play, and Bellinger has been great this year. But like, enough, <laughs> it's just so much. So, there's our predictions, and that kind of will settle it as it is for the regular season, so to speak, for where we see it going. And coming up after the break, we're going to talk about Vlad Guerrero Jr., Robbie Ray. And just how good Toronto has been in the month of September. This is the standings of the American League wildcard. The Jays were pushing so much, Bill, just to get the second wildcard spot. Now they got the top spot. Now it's the Yankees and Red Sox who are tied, and the Mariners and Athletics still in the mix. Toronto's offense has been ridiculous. These last 17 games, they are scoring an average of seven and a half runs per game. Welcome back, everyone. It's time to close out the regular season finale of Sayonara Baseball. We'll go tip of the cap, and both Kazuki and I have traveled up to the to the six, straight below the CN Tower at the Rogers Center. They've been home since July 30th, and we've heard the horn for a lot of players, but it means great significance to Vlad Guerrero Jr. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was the first player to hit 45 home runs this season in all of baseball, Shohei Otani will most likely win the MVP, as he should. But he's getting a run for his money from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I mean, he's a triple crown winner. Uh, he's on pace for that. Did his did his father ever win triple crown? I for, I, 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 couldn't I don't do that. think so. But he was always quite close. I know his father yeah. was always quite close, but I'm not sure if he ever won it with either the Expos or the Angels. Between watching the excitement of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I will say that I have to give a quick shout out to Salvador Perez of the Kansas City Royals, who could possibly become the catcher with ever, in the most single-season home runs ever this year at passing Johnny Bench. He tied Johnny Bench. Now he's on pace to potentially best Johnny Bench. But Vlagro Jr. has been the, the engine that has drive this team. In the first 15 games in September for this team, Vlad hit seven homers. Counterpoint, neither all were solo home runs, which is not great. But the team scored like 20 runs in certain games, which is absolutely phenomenal. 
only one hit only one, it hasn't hit many out any thing outside home runs in terms of like driving and runs which is something to be concerned about a little bit but the question now is will Vlad take the home run title and can you take away from can you take the MVP away from Otani I think the home run title is probably going to be his I think Perez is giving him a run for his money I don't think Otani will run him up for the home run the home yeah run he title. slowed down but MVP I think is Otani I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. has a shot to do something his father never did, as we I think we're, we're postulating here, to get Triple Crown. Um, it is absolutely a joy to have lived and watched both the success of Vlad Guerrero Jr. for two teams, for one team, Vlad Guerrero Jr. for the Blue Jays in his young career, and then the two-team excellence of his father. I mean, no one can replicate Vlad Guerrero Sr. with bare hands, taking a swing at everything. His son doesn't really do that. But they have the same type of style and mechanics. You want me to hit a home run? I'll bash 40 homers anytime you want me to. But I'm also going to bat 300 plus and get on base a lot and be a, a trademark leader for my organization, even at a young age. And I think that that's what makes this team so cool. And you're going to talk about your own pick in a second. That's what makes this team so much fun to watch. And that's why we, we have so much faith in them to potentially make the playoffs. I mean, not to mention, you have George Springer, your offseason acquisition finally heating up. Like that adds even more depth to their hitting core. So, yeah. On top of having Simeon, Bichette, uh, Teoscar Hernandez. Talk about another acquisition that was this uns- didn't seem like it would go one way. It went way the other way. It was so good. And like, and then we were, I, I picked the hitting. You're going to the mound. And an acquisition of his own right, but I, I mean, he he could be the Cy Young winner, Robbie Ray. Yep. So my pick is Robbie Ray of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, he was named the Player of the Week for the NL on September fifth. He struck out twenty hitters with only four walks and allowing only two runs and five hits over thirteen and two thirds innings and a pair of wins during that week. Uh, and he also won a Pitcher of the Month award in August, earning 1.70 ERA across 12 starts since the beginning of July. So that being said, I think he is a front runner for Cy Young Award. Robbie Ray leads AL in more ERA, lowest rate of hits allowed, innings, strikeouts, and ERA plus, while sitting in second in whip was a 1.009, just trailing by 002. He's... um. And he's third in strikeouts per walk, and he's emerged as the ace of the Jays while Ryu and other pitchers of the Toronto Blue Jays struggle. So he's been a key component, and I believe because of this, he is the key to carry the Blue Jays to the playoffs. And we were both very concerned about the pitching staff of the Blue Jays throughout the year. Alex Manoa, who has pitched far more games than I thought he would, has has added a little bit of of security and a little bit of... but Ryu, we thought, was going to lead this team. And Ryu has struggled. And when when the, the team that is great, when one player has a tough challenge, will have a player step up. Throughout the Giants, how good they are at that. At the Brewers, how good they are at that. And right when it matters, so have the Blue Jays, especially on the mound, between Robbie Ray stepping up where Ryu has struggled. But then you gave me a bonus this this for this of our final yeah episode. i've been you, greedy uh just because it's our last yeah. uh, regular season one but uh who expected this name from the chicago cubs frank schwindel 
Frank like, Schwindel. Now, I thought you would pick Patrick Wisdom off this team because I think Patrick Wisdom has been that. But Frank Schwindel has done something absolutely amazing in the last couple of weeks for a team that's just bottomed out. But they're not bottomed out all the way, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, he was named also the player of the week, same as Robbie Ray on the fifth. And he hit 462, was five home runs, 12 RBIs, was an OPS of 1.538 over six games. And Cubs won all of those six games. And the interesting fact about Frank is uh, he's been a journeyman of eight minor league seasons. So he has not made a major league a debut until this season, until Anthony Rizzo got traded from the Cubs. And the 29-year-old, he's 29, by the way, 29-year-old is posting a 374 average, was 10 home runs, 30-yard RBIs, was the OPS of 1.12 in 33 games. And I think he is a major reason why Cubs are finally winning these games. They've been a thorn. We talked about them earlier. They've been a thorn in people's sides. They don't have that many games against the, of the contenders left. But they spoil some teams. They did. They put up a couple good ones against the, the Phillies. They put up a good ones against the Reds. And when you wear a team down, this, this, this goes perfectly to my given the hook. I am stressed out watching the Mariners and the Phillies because the games are way too close and just win the game and end it. Just please do not. Like the Mariners are so good at one-run games. It's, it's unbelievable. But you're giving me too much. Like you're, you're, you're causing too much panic for me. And everybody likes to panic except Joe Panic. That's my that's my my great playoff line from a couple of years ago. And Joe Panic, everybody panic. It's Joe Panic, but there's no Joe Panic here. And if you're in hockey, there's no Kelly Panic. Just a straight panic with Philadelphia and Seattle. Like I cannot stand it to watch and just watch the like the white knuckle while I'm watching these games and just so tensed up. That that's 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 not really like a like a performance thing. It's just like I'm frustrated because I'm getting so stressed and tensed up between these two teams. And I imagine their fan bases are too. I don't know if either will make the playoffs, but wow, have they been tough to watch sometimes. And I think that, that's, it just was too much for me. And you're going to talk about one player in the Mariners who has made it exceptionally difficult to watch this team. And that's uh, our dear friend, Yusei Kikuchi. Yeah, Yusei Kikuchi has been a terrible player in the second half. Um, but before we dive into negative, let's uh, look into the positive. So in the uh, first half of the season, he posted a 3.48 ERA, pretty respectable. And he was the lone representative of the Seattle Mariners at the All-Star game. I mean, I'll give him credit that he was the ace of the staff while Marco Gonzalez was out and starting pitching with short and staff. Oh, before we get into the bats, I want to say that I will, I'll, I'll echo what your sentiments are there. He allowed this team to maintain a Vile, a vital, a viable position for playoffs for a long, long time. Because when you have your ace go down, you need someone to just hold the line. And you brought, you tried to bring up Logan Gilbert, tough start to go, and he's come along quite nicely since then. But other than him, you needed a veteran on the team, and they have a lot of veteran starters. Flexen Flexen has been phenomenal this year, but Flexen's not a veteran Mariner. He's a veteran of the game. You say he's been with that team for several years now, and he started off that season in just a position of just settling it down. And then August happened. 
And what's happened in his last 13 starts? Because these numbers just blow my mind. Yeah, so in the last 13 starts, he's busted a 1-6 in six, uh, record, a 5.98 ERA, and he's pitched in six innings or more just three times out of those 13 starts while throwing out four starts or f- four starts or fewer than five innings. So, And granted, most of them were against the Astros, and he's historically been horrible against the Astros. Or very good. It's either one or the two. He's yeah. been like amazing or terrible. Exactly. And then, uh, so I want to note this. So remember when I went to the trough to see a game, a Mariners game? Uh, yeah, so back in the beginning on, of August. Yeah, beginning of August. My first time at the trough. That was the, the last start he ever won a game. <laughs> and since then, he Ooh, dropped a win three this, and eight this, starts. This is like borderline Jake Garrietta. <laughs> yes, exactly. So ever since I, uh, we, uh, my fiance and I watched the game uh, at Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay at CMP. That was his last good start. Uh, since then, he dropped an 0-3 and 8 starts, and he has not done well. Uh, the, the main reason is because his fastball velocity dropped. His fastball has been averaging around 94.1 miles per hour, down from his season average of 95.3 in the second half. And he has been dragging down the team since that start of August and September. And, and it's a contract I, year. It, it is. Uh, whether or not Mariners will pick up the team option of four years and $66 million, and I say they should not pick up his option. Well, that, that is in the hands of Katie Griggs. And Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto. And if if I can recall how she managed, if she has, how, if she, how, how much influence she had in terms of player contracts in Atlanta with the Atlanta United for the soccer team, they were very creative with how they managed that budget for players. So I'm not like, we, we're still going to have to figure out their structure in that team. With Depoto's baseball mind and her business savvy, they may find a way to make something work because they got Seeger's money, they got Hanniger's money, and they got this in terms of money to play this year. And uh, it's um, it's an interesting, interesting time to uh, to be a Mariners fan. And not to mention, uh, you know, pitchers are expensive. Like, you know, Charlie Morton got an extension of over $20 million. $20 million! And he was a, a throwaway from the Rays. Sorry, whatever. He was great. He, was like the, he became the ace of the Braves. Uh, but th- that's the end of the baseball segments. For the season, I could say we did it, but we're not quite there yet. So we're not, I'm not going to give the we did it chant yet. Uh, but our walk-up song of the show, like I said, we're going we're to go into that, was a gift to us. And we, we greatly thank Freddie Coleman and Ian Fitzsimmons of ESPN Radio. They have a show every weekday night from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. on the East Coast. You can find it on, I'll do it now, on ESPN Radio, SiriusXM Channel 80, and ESPN app. They call it the mighty ESPN Radio for them. Um, Freddie and Ian always start this, their show with going, let the good times roll. And I could never figure out where it was from. The song sounded familiar. So I asked Freddie. I sent him a note on Twitter, and he responded back with, this is the song. And it's actually a song I have heard performed live. So from a band from Kazuki's hometown area of Los Angeles, California, it's a band called named Ozo Motley. The song is Magnolia Soul. Ozo Motley is a collection of musicians that were formed when they all were, I believe, trying to join a factory worker in Los Angeles in the mid-90s. Their members include Ajdu Sierra, Raul Pacheco, Ulysses Beya, Will Dog Abers, Justin El Nino Pore, and Yuro Yamaguchi. 
it is a collection of influences and people from around with influence from around the world. They are they are magical magician musicians. I've heard them perform live at Higher Ground in South Burlington, Vermont. Shout out to my hometown little tiny music venue. They were originally an opening act, and then I see them. I saw them as the headliner at a show right when this album came out. This album came out in 2007. So I saw them in 2000, I believe 2005, 2006, in 2007, because they had Street Signs was their first real major album and Don't Mess With The Dragon. So this is off Don't Mess With The Dragon. And to describe this band's beginnings is very interesting. It's a lot of reflections of kind of what we talked about throughout this entire year about these, well, we, we've done the segment. It's like you get a lot of influence from people, different cultures. So 2007 interview with Ulysses Bay on NPR said, I remember the beginnings of the band. We're like, how can we describe our sound people when they ask us? And one of our favorite quotes is always, like you drive down Sunset Boulevard, turn off your stereo and roll down your windows and all the music comes out of each and every different car. You get some salsa, some cumbia, some merengue, some hip hop, funk, hip hop, funk, whatever. You get everything. It's this crazy blend of all these things, a cacophony of sounds. And that's what makes Ozo Motley. And I think we totally use the city as a source of inspiration, being Los Angeles. And that's it. That's the people. And I think they do such a beautiful reflection of the city of Los Angeles and California and this country in their music. Now, a lot of their songs, you may, their songs may not be on the radio, so to speak now. But sometimes I just ask my smart speaker to play them and I see what, what happens. And some of their songs are just phenomenal, this being one of them. Uh, Magnolia Soul comes off their fourth album, Don't Miss the Dragon, released in 2007. At the same time, this was an interesting fact. This band serves cultural ambassadors during the Bush administration to the following countries throughout Asia, Africa, and South America. They, played, they did stuff in Tunisia, India, Jordan, and Nepal. None of which have relation to, like, I, 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 like on the face to the ancestry of these band members. But like I said, they were a cultural melting pot of a band reflecting a cultural melting pot of a city. There's This song is known for its Let the Good Times Roll. It's a, it's a good, upbeat song. It's a great song. They have several other good songs. Saturday Night, I believe, is off this album, too. It's another song that just gets it going. It's a real happy. It's, it's a great walk-up song. This song was sort of issued as a political statement. Uh in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, even though they were part of the an ambassador from the State Department related to the Bush administration, they were critical of Hurricane Katrina, the response from the Bush administration for Hurricane Katrina. Magnolia Soul being Magnolia is the state flower of Louisiana. So if you listen to this song, it's all about their love for New Orleans in Louisiana. And like I said, we graciously thank Ian Fitzsimmons and Freddie Cohen for sharing the song with us. You can find their, their radio show from 9 p.m. Eastern to 1 a.m. Eastern on the mighty ESPN radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, and the ESPN app. And now we'll close out the show with a special recognition of Hispanic Heritage Month, looking at Roberto Clemente. And we just as a quick note, Hispanic Heritage Month in baseball celebrates a vast majority of this league. Players from countless Hispanic in Latin American, or Latin American, Hispanic origin, Latin American countries. We talked about Marin Rivera last week. He's from Panama. Puerto Rico is where Roberto Clemente from Puerto Rico, even though it's part of the United States. It is a Latin American land. 
is a Latin American cultural haven. Uh, Dominican Republic, we talked about with some of the players from there. Haiti, all these play Haiti being split between two cultures. It remains so much to Baseball Hispanic Heritage Month. And there's one player that always stands out above the rest, and that's Roberto Clemente, whose career unfortunately was cut far, far too short while being a humanitarian. Spent his entire career with Pittsburgh recording 3,000 hits to the number, exactly 3,000 hits, while probably playing right field, arguably probably top two, top three at the least. Greatest right fielders of all time. I would say I model some of the way that I played right field after the way he played right field, other than Willie Mays um, and Willie McCovey. Like the outfield structure that they, that the collectively those people play, playing Willie McCovey and him, just incredible at that position. And especially in ballparks where it was such a challenge at Three River Stadium, it was a weird ballpark. It was a football stadium too, like Oakland is now. And it's just a challenge to play there. Um, he was probably a, Imagine he's a great baseball player. He's a better citizen than anyone could ever imagine. That's why you get the Roberto Clemente Award if you're the best citizen reflecting your character, community, and contributions to the, to the, to the baseball and the greater society. Uh, this year, you were allowed to wear 21 if you were the Pittsburgh Pirates or a nominee or a past winner of it. And I uh, truly hope that they allowed number 20 to retire the same way that actually Jackie Robinson is retired at some point. Uh, and two final notes about where Roberto Clemente is memorialized in the state of New Jersey on a certain about mile to two mile stretch outside of Newark. There's a highway, Highway 21. Roberto Clemente was number 21. For a while, I never noticed this. As you turn into this neighborhood, as you turn off the exit and you go back on the highway from this very heavily Puerto Rican neighborhood, there's a sign that says, welcome to the Roberto Clemente Memorial Highway. And it just fits. Highway 21, Puerto Rican, majority Puerto Rican neighborhood, fits beautifully. That highway in particular connects two very global communities in northern New Jersey, Newark and Patterson. And for this one segment to be named Roberto Clemente is just that much more special. But as a, someone who has spent time in Pittsburgh, what means more to me than even that, what means as much to me and probably more to me than that highway is the bridge. Pittsburgh is the city of bridges and tunnels. If I have it right, they have is they have the second most city, second most bridges of any city in the world to Venice, Italy. Or I forget the fit the, the exact wording of it. There are three bridges that connect downtown Pittsburgh to the north shore of the Pittsburgh, where the various things are a lot of cultural venues there. There's museums and a bustling community outside of this area. There are three bridges. They're all named after historic Pittsburgh icons. Rachel Carson, the Carson Bridge. Andy Warhol. And then the one that lines up closest to PNC Park is the Roberto Clemente Bridge. And when you sit behind home plate at PNC Park on a clear night, you look at right through the Roberto Clemente Bridge. And there are people that will just stand there all game. Because with PNC Park is up, you could stand on the bridge the entire night and watch the game. And it's so fitting for the, the city of Pittsburgh and the Pittsburgh Pirates to have that as their way that they connect the city. 
I would take the light rail in Pittsburgh. You could take it right to the state if you wanted to, easier. But was a rite of passage in that city was to take the bus or the light rail to the last stop in downtown Pittsburgh. And there's about a mile walk and you just walk straight through downtown and you go right over the Royal Clancy Bridge. There are locks on it, on either the Carson Warhol, the Carson, Carson Warhol the Bridge, like they have in Paris. You walk right up to it and you literally end at the base of the outfield wall at center field. And there's a bike path and it's very Roberto Clemente esque because we'll close out the show on this. If there's any player in the history of baseball that better connected the community in which he lived in to the team which he played on, try and find one for me. Because Roberto Clemente did that for 15 years in the Steel City. And we salute him. We remember so many things that he did. And it's only fitting that we close out the year remembering Roberto Clemente and the community outreach that he did and what it means to the sport of what baseball has done for communities all around the world in the United States this past year, being able to have fans back. And we'll see you all in the playoffs because we're coming down the stretch and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. That's it for this episode of Sanar Baseball. This episode of Sanar Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Akiba and Brandon Beiser. This episode was edited by Kazuki Akiba with additional research by Brandon Beiser. Our theme song is by Kay Margus. Sanar Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show. Go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows. I'm Kazuki Akiba. And I'm Brandon Beiser. And this has been Sound Art Baseball.